Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Bullett, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. All right. So uh, what do you want to talk about today? Well, uh, I wanted to talk about something uh, that com- comes to us courtesy of a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Samuel. And Samuel says, hi, first of all, thanks for the great info. I really like your show. I just started listening to you guys and I am liking it. I would like to know more about distributed computing services and how would I be able to sell my computer's idling time or CPU cycles? Also, if it would be a good idea to do it. Thanks again, Sam from Pasco, Washington. Bye. Bye, Sam. It's nice talking to you. Um, <laughs> so distributed computing. We're going to go into what distributing compu- distributed computing is and um, and the whole idea of selling your CPU cycles, which uh, we're, I'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. Yeah. Um, as far as I can tell, there are no projects currently uh, available where you can actually sell your CPU cycles. In most cases, you're donating your cycles. Yes. Um, there was a proposed project at one point to uh, compensate people for their computer time, but uh, that one kind of fizzled out before it ever reached a point where payments could be made to participants. So um, so as it stands of the, as the recording of this podcast, and as far as I am aware, the only way you can participate in distributed computing uh, projects is by either working at a particular facility or donating your your uh, computer CPU cycles. Okay. Should we now, talk about uh, what distributed computing is yes, and how it works? Yes. I just wanted to make sure that we answered Samuel's question and didn't forget about it. No, I'm absolutely okay <laughs> with that. So distributed computing, take it away, Paulette. <laughs> well, distributed computing uh, is a, a way of basically crunching data um, and in a lot of cases, there are massive, massive projects underway. Um, a lot of the ones I'm sure we'll be talking about in a few minutes are science related, where mm-hmm. uh, scientists, for example, are collecting lots and lots and lots of information, but they don't have the computing power to crunch all those numbers in a handy fashion. So um, about I would guess about the mid 90s. Uh, that's when I started seeing information on undistributed computing. They started saying, well, I, hey. You guys all want to help us out with these projects, so why don't we find a way to let you contribute your computer processing cycles from when your machine is down, say, overnight if you leave your computer on. It's not doing a whole lot other than just sort of sitting there on sleep. So why don't you help us out by crunching some of these numbers for us and send them back, and we can use this to get our experiment further down the road. Right, right. It speeds things up considerably because really when you're working on one of these huge projects, you only have a couple of options available to you because as Paulette was mentioning, you, you get tons and tons of information. If you were to use a single regular computer to try and process that, it could take thousands or even millions of years to complete the calculations mm-hmm. because we're talking about enormous figures here um, and often – Lots of different kinds of information coming in that you have to analyze, and the computer may only be able to concentrate on one at a time. Mm-hmm. Your other option is you could try and book some time with a supercomputer. Yep. And some of these projects are doing that too. They're also using supercomputers, not just a, a distributed computing. Mm-hmm. 
But supercomputer time is uh, precious. There are only so many supercomputers out there. Many of them were built with a specific task in mind, and so there's not a whole lot of time for uh, for them to to dedicate to other projects. Mm-hmm. So if your project does not have a supercomputer, it may be a struggle for you to get the money and the time available on one of those machines to do your number crunching. So what do you do? Well, if the problems that you're working on can be broken down into smaller problems, you can look into distributed computing. Now, some of you may be thinking this sounds a lot like what we talked about when we talk about multi-core processors. Yep. It is not dissimilar. The the two are, are very uh, close together in a way. You're talking about a, a big problem that you can break down into smaller problems, and each processor, or in distributed computing, each computer, can work on a portion of that problem, solve it, send it back to a master computer, which then incorporates everything that has been gathered up to that point, and you end up solving the big problem much faster than you would if you tackled it with just one machine. Yeah, um, actually, if you think about it, if you're a long-time Tech Stuff fan, you, you've you heard us talk about this in a number of occasions, um, including when we talked about the uh, PlayStation 3s being used for the military. That's true. And, um, you know, the many occasions on which we've mentioned Google. Yes. Uh, they sort of do the same thing, if you think about it, because they're using, rather than buying lots and lots of really expensive hardware, uh, they use sort of run-of-the-mill uh, PCs using Linux. They're sort of custom-built, but... Um, they're still not, you know, high-end, high-end, super powerful computers. Um, and by using those uh, smaller, less powerful computers, they're able to distribute the load of the entire network on uh, and, and spread their budget out a little bit more, too. So Right. And I have two kind of fun definitions of uh, – well, fun might be a stretch. I have two definitions okay. of distributed computing from two different individuals. So this first one comes from Andrew S. Tannenbaum. And he says, distributed computing a distributed computing system is a collection of independent computers that appears to its users as a single coherent system. So in other words – from a, a macro point of view, if you if you get the bird's eye view on this, uh, yeah, it's a system that's made up of lots and lots of computers, but they're all working to the same end, and they have you know a, kind of a, a a master that is coordinating everything. If you look at it as one big system, then you just think, oh, each of these computers is really a processor. And another example of of distributing computing we've talked about in the past that applies to that definition, a botnet. Yes, that's also a good example. Uh, and you could argue that the Internet itself is, in a way, a distributed computing system, sort although of, yeah. it's not yeah. really um, geared toward a specific project. Yeah, it's not solving a problem so right. much, but the computing power of moving all that information around is, is distributed. distributed. Yes. So then the second definition I wanted to mention comes from Leslie Lampert. Uh, who says, you, ne- you know you have a distributed system when the crash of a computer you've never heard of halts all progress. <laughs> so that brings us to some of the, the considerations you have to have uh, in mind when you start to build a distributed computing system. Okay. Now, to build a distributed computing system, what you really need is an algorithm, mm-hmm. that, which is, of course, a set of instructions. An algorithm is just really just a set of instructions in mathematical format usually mm-hmm. um, that tells computers what they have to do. Uh, you know, it gives them a step-by-step procedure. With a distributed algorithm, what this is doing is it determines how to divide up a problem. It determines uh, how to send that information out to the different nodes or clients. Um, 
the clients and nodes in this case would be the individual computers out there. Uh, and to get an, also would have to have information on how long to wait until uh, for a response from that computer, from that client. Um, in other words, if you send out a problem to a computer and let's say that you you are using your computer to be part of one of these distributed computing projects, but you happen to, to go on vacation for a full month and you've turned your computer off. Mm-hmm. Well, in that, that month-long uh, uh, vacation that you're on while you're enjoying life and drinking tropical drinks and listening mm-hmm. to Beach Boy songs, your computer's not working on the problem that was sent to it by the master computer. Yep. If you don't build into the uh, algorithm the you know the the fact that hey sometimes computers are not going to send you the information you expect back then the whole project could come to a halt theoretically mm-hmm. um or you could build into the algorithm if you don't hear back from the client within x number of days then send the problem to another client. Yep. So that way you have redundancy in there. If one computer fails, the whole project doesn't come to a crashing halt, mm-hmm. as, as Leslie had pointed out. Um, that's something you have to build into the algorithm as well, is the idea that none of these individual computers are completely infallible. They mm-hmm. have to be, you have to be, plan for the fact that some of these are going to crash. Uh, users may turn their machines off. They may, they may abandon the project. And you have to build that into your system so that it doesn't bring the whole thing down in the pro- uh, process. Yep. Um, I'm sorry, you were going to say. Well, no, no, I was. Um, I didn't know where you were going next because I had an example. Oh, please. But uh, um, one of the the projects that has become so it's really sort of an overarching uh, way of working on different kinds of distributing computing projects is uh, uh, Berkeley. University of California, Berkeley, Boink. Ah, uh, yes, uh, Boink. The Berkeley Open in- Infrastructure for Network Computing. I couldn't read my own handwriting there. Um, and basically what this is, is it's a client, a piece of client software mm-hmm. um, that enables somebody to, you can download the software and it will enable you to participate in all kinds of projects. It's sometimes more than one. Um, yeah, basically a scheduling server sends out the instructions to your computer. Right. And says, you know, okay, here, here's your, uh, here's your information. It, Judges your CPU and memory. So it says, I'm not going to give you any more than you can handle. You know, go ahead and work on this. And, uh, the computer is also able to download any necessary files it needs to execute. Basically, the, uh, if the server, if the software is not up to date, it can update itself so that it can go ahead and process the information. Right. Then your computer does the, uh, does the calculations and sends it back up to the data server and tells the scheduling server, Hey, I'm free. And basically they give you credit. Uh, for the amount of cycles your computer has participated in. And it does send out each problem to more than one computer, actually two in this case. And based, you know, it, it, to be fair, rather than to give all the credit, say, you know, Jonathan and I both have Boink installed on in our computers and both of us are working on SETI at home. And, uh, uh, Jonathan turned his computer off one night when I left mine on. So his wasn't able to process the information quite as fast because he was, you know, about 10 hours shorter than, than mine, the press, you know, the cycles. So basically what it does is to be fair, because Jonathan's computer did do most of the work, uh, to get the, the unit done. Uh, it gives both of us credit for what, how much time our CPUs spent working on the problem. Mm. So, um, it, it sort of, it serves as a, uh, a dual purpose because in one hand, if, if my computer had been off the entire time, the unit still needed to be get to, to be finished. Right. 
but at the same time, they want to give us credit for it because part of the, the, uh, the fun in participating in some of these projects is they give you credit and you get to rack up hours and you can join teams and the teams can compete with one another. So yeah, it's mostly for, it's um, fun. for bragging rights. It's not oh, like yeah. a, it's not a compensation thing, but when you think about it, you're helping contribute to, to humans expanding our knowledge about the universe in some way, uh, depending on what the, the project is. There's lots of different versions out there as emergencies go on outside of our studio. <laughs> um, but the, uh, besides the fact of the whole algorithm thing, the whole, uh, set scheduling thing that you pointed out, yeah. um, there are two different major, uh, categories of distributed computing. You have synchronous, mm-hmm. where everything is, as you would imagine from the name, synchronized so that everything's going on a very set schedule. Mm-hmm. And then there's asynchronous. Now, asynchronous is harder to set up. It is much more difficult to create an algorithm that, uh, that compensates for an asynchronous system, yeah. but it's also the one that allows pe- more people to join because as you pointed out, uh, there are going to be times where someone's computer is going to be off or perhaps the person's using the computer for a really processor heavy application. And so most of these, uh, these programs have middleware mm-hmm. that will ease back on your computer while you're using it. Mm-hmm. Um, it may always be running in the background, but it'll start to consume less and less power as you demand more and more for whatever application you need. So let's say you're doing like a lot of video editing and you need a lot of processor power mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, it'll back off. Or you can turn it off entirely for the duration of your work, which I sometimes do depending on what I have to do. Right, especially if you you start feeling like your computer's acting sluggish, you start looking at the processes yeah. you can you can halt. And that's usually one of the <laughs> one of the first to go. Yes. But uh, that's an asynchronous system can compensate for that. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it doesn't matter if your computer goes offline for a while. Um, and uh, uh, so that's another one of those those things that you have to take into consideration, along with the um, the fact that uh, uh, if a computer does go down, you don't want your your project to crash. Another thing you have to keep in mind is that for a lot of these these actually i would say for pretty much any distributed computing system that was not a very tightly controlled grid computing system mm-hmm. you're going to be working with lots and lots of different kinds of hardware definitely i mean we work in the same company chris and i and uh and really yeah oddly enough i had no idea so chris and i work in the same company but our computers are different yes his computer and my computer are not are not exactly the same you know the specs are different um, his is better. Uh, his E key works yeah. and mine doesn't. Um, I'm really tired of typing the, the number three instead of E over think, and over. I think that's called the, uh, minor vowel shift. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had a vowel movement. Um, minor, uh, English major joke there. Yeah. We're sorry. <laughs> we apologize. Uh, at any rate, the, you have to be able to build your system so that it can it can compensate for the fact that people are not using the exact same machine. Now, for some of these these distributed computing models, if you were say a research facility and you just decided, you know, instead of trying to spend several hundred million dollars to build a supercomputer, we're going to spend several thousand dollars and buy up, you know, a, a dozen PCs, you could theoretically make sure that every single one of them matches exactly mm-hmm. to a, a specific model. Now, in that case, a synchronous approach might even work because if all you're doing is relying on computers that you yourself are maintaining, 
uh, you can make sure that everything's working properly. Yes. It's not the same as if it's a distributed computing system where anyone can join. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, really it's the, the internet protocol that made all of this possible from, uh, you know, opening it up to the public. Before that, you would just have, uh, various standards of computer to computer, uh, communication to, um, to try and create a distributed computing system. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm saying distributed computing so much. It's, it's starting to lose all meaning to me. All right. But there, we should also mention there are different variations of distributed computing and the definitions are not set in stone. They're not so well defined that, um, that it's easy to differentiate one from the other. Mm -hmm. So for example, grid computing. Right. Uh, you might think of grid computing as being a little more structured than well, you know the the word grid sounds like it's going to be structured. right right it doesn't necessarily mean that I mean some people use grid computing to mean any kind of distributed computing system sure but uh, or utility computing where that mm-hmm. kind of suggests that there's a transaction involved like you are paying a company in order to access a certain amount of processing power right. or certain applications it's kind of a software as a service spinoff. Um, then uh, there's cloud computing, which sounds like it's a little less structured than grid computing. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what I think of when I think of these big projects that allow the public to participate. Yeah. Um, but again, these definitions are just kind of guidelines. They're not – there's a lot of overlap and some people use the terms interchangeably. Yeah. So don't mm-hmm. get too confused because no one knows what they're talking about. Yeah, I always think of distributing – Distributed computing as being the participatory projects that you opt into for these right, things. Right, right. So, I mean, that's usually the way I hear it referred. So. And you, you mentioned SETI at home, which yes. would be the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Yes. Um, I that was the I very first project I ever worked on in a distributed sense. Honestly, I think we just need to start searching for the terrestrial kind first and then work our way up. Ha ha. Ha ha. That's um, a dumb human joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, uh, SETI at Home was the first project that I uh, ever participated in like this. And it um, basically it, it takes information gathered by a radio telescope um, and uh, sends it out to different people. Now, they used to have their own individual client, which was really pretty because it had lots and lots of multicolored blocks on it. And it uh, when it was up as a screensaver, it made it look like your computer was doing something really, really cool. Um, but, and, and what your computer really was doing, just so you know, was analyzing the yeah. data from this this radio telescope and looking for any kind of patterns or spikes that might indicate a an extraterrestrial radio transmission. Yeah. So they were we were they were listening and we were helping them figure out whether we were actually picking up anything other than I love Lucy reruns. Right. And um, which <laughs> oddly come from Venus. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> um. But yeah, actually now they're part of Boink, or they're not part part of Boink, but their data can be configured through Boink. So if you right. download the Boink client, you can do that. And a lot of of projects are are done that way too. But uh, yeah, at the moment, um, in the moment, I'm participating in three. Wow, what are the other projects. two? Um, well, no, actually, I oh, I've you're stopped, no longer doing you know, I Well, okay. So what actually, happened this was is you- a good, this is a good transition because I wanted to talk about the different kinds of things because we're not just talking. Uh, you know, strictly science stuff, although science and life sciences are two of the big categories sure. of the participatory distributed computing projects like this. There's also uh, stuff you can do with cryptography. Um, there are other Internet and finance projects you could work on, mathematics, language, art, and even puzzles and games that you can participate in. See, I got confused. I thought cryptography was when you sent people to the forbidden zone. No. 
Right. So anyway, um, that was a Superman joke and I'm sorry, but, uh, two of them I participated in and I'm ignoring you through Boink. Um, one of them is the, uh, similar similarity matrix of proteins. Mm. Um, and, uh, the other is Rosetta at home, both of which are, uh, are life sciences related. And then, uh, I use a, a third one on our work on our aforementioned work computers. Um, those two are on the, uh, on our test machine. Right. Uh, the other one is a Stanford project that is not run through Boink called Folding at Home. Right. That's proteins, right? Yes. It is also proteins. They're basically looking the uh, proteins fold um, in a way that helps them work. And we don't really understand what right. it takes for the proteins to actually activate. So, so we're looking, looking at them. Yeah, we're looking at, at how the proteins fold and how that helps determine what the proteins do. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. And it's uh, – it's, the difference in this and, and the Boink stuff is, you know, the folding at home has a screensaver component. So, uh, when my computer, uh, is, you know, asleep when I go to get coffee or something like that, uh, it has all these funny looking, look, molecule looking things up on the screen. Right. That and, slowly uh, are, are building the, the, supposedly building the protein. Yeah. And, uh, I even convinced, uh, stuff you should know is Josh Clark to participate in the process too. So, uh, we have a, a how Sucker. stuff works. Group. Yes, we do. Uh, on, uh, on that group. So, you know, you can always join us there. And I, um, I'm going to start groups too for the other two projects I'm working on that are howstuffworks.com groups. Hopefully I can, I get ones for the other groups and we can really get a, uh, howstuffworks.com, uh, movement behind distributed computing and have a, have fun trying to take on the other groups with it. Yeah, we'll make sure that we include that when we do the blog post write-up for this this episode. Yeah, because I haven't done them all yet, so uh, I'm going to have to put those together. So there are a couple of other ones that we can talk about. There's the uh, Milky Way at Home project. Oh, uh, yes. That's, uh, that one's mapping out the Sagittarius stream yeah. and analyzing the data from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Einstein at Home, which is looking for gravitational waves, particularly from pulsars. Um, this the, the amount of time you can put in on that one is sort of relative. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it breaks down the closer you get to the Big Bang. Uh, the, these, these projects, of course, like, like the other ones we mentioned, just in, involve massive amounts of data that needs to be analyzed. And, uh, and that's why these, these, uh, projects are so important and, and why they depend so heavily upon volunteers because otherwise if you just dedicated, you know, a dozen machines to this, it would take forever. Yeah. But other big projects use dis- distributed computing as well, like the Large Hadron Collider oh, yeah. is collecting, well, it <laughs> when it's working, it's collecting terabytes of data. And so oh, they I would use petabytes. Of data. <laughs> they're using, so they're using uh, distributed computing to analyze all of that. And uh, talking about the Big Bang, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what the LHC is, is doing. It's, it's slamming these protons together at such magnificent speeds that the resulting explosion is sort of in miniature, and I'm talking like unimaginable miniature, mm-hmm. the uh, the sort of effects that you would have witnessed at the uh, at the Big Bang, had there been some way for you to actually witness them. Now I haven't heard whether they're going to allow the public to participate in the crunching of those numbers. Is yes. that going to be just a sign scientific community? As thing? far as I can tell, that is one of those closed grid computing closed systems. Okay. Where um, I, I haven't seen anything about a public uh, public version. CERN is pretty tight with that. That well, also leads another to another issue. First of all, to to run any of these um, at home type projects, mm-hmm. normally you have to download some software. Yes, I mean pretty much you have to download some software. This is the software that allows your computer to communicate with the master computer. Yes, and it allows your computer to accept assignments 
and then uh, work on the assignments because he usually has whatever the program is that's needed to analyze the data and then right. send the information back. Yeah. So um, – Yeah, just getting the numbers isn't going to really help you much right, without something yeah, to manipulate. To crunch that. them through, right? Well, that means you have to download some software on your computer. So right there, there's a security vulnerability anytime you have yeah. to download software. Mm-hmm. Um, now – most of these are coming from very trustworthy sources, and I would imagine that they have pretty good security on their their products, so that someone's not going to, you know, kind of do a man in the middle attack and and have you download malware instead of the uh, middleware. Yeah, but you may also worry about the fact that this is essentially giving another computer access to your computer's processing power. Uh, hopefully there are no back doors built into that software so that they could say get control, administrative control of your machine mm-hmm. or spy on any of your data. Uh, again, most of these projects are from very reputable sources and it's a good bet that there's no malicious intent behind them. That but, doesn't mean there isn't a vulnerability. In right. It. Yes. There could be vulnerabilities. I mean, sometimes people just don't think of that when they're building a tool. You know, they're not because they're thinking, how can I achieve this goal? They're not thinking, how can I make sure someone doesn't take advantage of this tool to do something naughty? Right. So just uh, just, you know, buyer beware. Naughty. Naughty. Um, another thing to consider if you are uh, at all environmentally conscious is if your computer is not on, I mean, or not being used say overnight and you're contributing to one of these distributed computing projects, yes, you're helping out science, but you're also running your computer when you don't absolutely have to. Right. So, so it's kind of a trade-off. You, you know, if you're thinking about doing good, you have two ways to do good and they're sort of at odds with each other. Right. So you have to decide which is more important to you, turning your computer off or and, and letting can- it cycle. Right. So you're talking about conserving electricity. Exactly. Sorry. Um, I didn't actually say that. But there's, there's another element to it besides that. So mm-hmm. there's the conserving electricity concern where, uh, if you do pro- participate in this project, you are going to be consuming more power. So not only is it not, it's not only is it less green, but it also could impact your electricity bill, although yeah. probably not to a huge extent. Um, but it could still affect it. Mm-hmm. The other thing to remember is that if you have a cap, on how much data you can access oh. on the internet. Cause some, some ISPs cap how much you can access. Uh, if you're running this, that's going to count toward that cap. So let's sure. say that you like to watch lots of streaming movies and stuff. Well, that eats up a lot of bandwidth pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And if you are running this in the background the whole time, you may start inching toward that cap faster than you would imagine. Cause you know, you're always having, maintaining that connection with the master computer. Um, or at least you're, you're, it's checking back and, you know, receiving data and sending data on a fairly regular basis. So if you do have a cap on your broadband usage, think about that before you sign up for one of these things too, because, uh, if, if you're anywhere close to that cap, this might put you over the edge depending on, you know, how often you're letting it run in mm-hmm. the background. Yep. Uh, did you have anything else to add? No, yeah, I really focused on the, uh, the, public aspect of this because I thought it would be more fun to talk about. And sure. Um, and it's, and it's the part that part applies. To see. Yeah. It's know. the part that applies to our listeners the most too, unless yeah. they're all working at CERN, in which case, Hey y'all. <laughs> hey y'all. They probably have to have that translated since they're in Switzerland. That's all. true. I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't speak any of those languages. Okay. Uh, bonjour y'all. Yeah. There you go. That's part of it's in France. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to participate in these groups and, uh, certainly, uh, you're welcome to join any of the howstuffworks.com distributed computing, 
uh, groups that we'll set up and, and, uh, you know, like I said, maybe we'll take out some of those other media companies with extreme prejudice. Indeed. Excellent. Well, that was a really good discussion and it leads us into our second round of a listener mail. This listener mail comes from Cameron, and Cameron says, Hi, Jonathan and Chris. I looked through your podcast episodes and couldn't find one covering the topic of daylight saving time. Please cover the history and why it was made like you guys normally do. I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks, Cameron. But you know what? Daylight saving time really isn't in our wheelhouse. It's not Not, really tech. Yeah, it's not really tech related. Uh, But what I suggest is that you send this request to either stuff you missed in history class, which could give you the historical a lowdown on daylight saving time or stuff you should know. And if you write to stuff you should know and ask them if they can cover the topic, Uh-oh. you can also tell them that they smell. <laughs> that they smell wars are heating up. Yeah. Yeah. They smell. We, we've already received emails that we smell. So they also smell. Actually, technically, never mind. I can't go into that. <laughs> Thanks so much for your mail, Cameron. Please continue to listen. Uh, sorry we can't tackle that one. It's just not tech enough, I think. But uh, if any of you have any questions or criticisms, concerns, you just want to say hi, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. We have articles about grid computing, cloud computing, all sorts of distributed computing things, zombie computers, mm, all zombies. that you can find at the website howstuffworks.com. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?